Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Dr. George Markovich is my orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I'm so grateful for it. And we'll visit with uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. He'll be joining us as well. It is March the 4th, and on this day in 1918, just before breakfast on the morning of March the 4th, Private Albert Gitchell of the U.S. Army reported to the hospital at Fort Riley, Kansas, complaining of cold-like symptoms of sore throat, fever, and headache. Soon after, over 100 of his fellow soldiers had reported similar symptoms, making what is believed to be the very first cases in the history, a historic influenza pandemic of 1918. Later known as the Spanish flu, the flu would eventually kill 675,000 Americans and an estimated 20 million to 50 million people around the world, proving to be a far deadlier force than even the First World War. The initial outbreak of the disease, reported at Fort Riley, in March, was followed by similar outbreaks in army camps and prisons in various regions of the country. The disease soon traveled to Europe with the American soldiers headed to aid the Allies on the battlefields of France. In March 1918 alone, 84,000 American soldiers headed across the Atlantic. Another 118,000 followed them the next month. Once it arrived on the second continent, the flu showed no signs of abating. 31,000 cases were reported in June in Great Britain. The disease was eventually dubbed the Spanish flu because people erroneously believed that Spain was the epicenter of the uh, pandemic. The flu showed no mercy or for combatants on either side of the trenches. Over the summer, the first wave of the epidemic hit German forces on the Western Front where they were waging a final no-holds-barred offensive that would determine the outcome of the war. It had significant effect on the already weakening morale of the troops as German Army Commander Crown Prince Rupert uh, wrote on August the 3rd, poor provisions, heavy losses, and the deepening influenza have deeply depressed the spirits of the men in the 3rd Infantry of the Division. Meanwhile, the flu was spreading far beyond the borders of Western Europe due to its exceptionally high rate of virulence and the massive transport of men on land and abroad uh, shipped due to the uh, war effort. By the end of the summer, numerous cases had been reported in Russia, North Africa, and India, China, Japan, and the Philippines. Even New Zealand would eventually fall victim as well. The Great War ended on November the 11th, but influenza continued to wreak havoc, flaring again in the U.S. in an even more vicious wave with the return of the soldiers from the war and eventually affecting an estimated 28% of the country's population before it finally petered out. In December 28, 1918, issue of the American Medical Association acknowledged the end of the once momentous conflict and urged the acceptance of a new challenge 
the fighting of infectious disease. Seeing kind of a wind down right now, aren't we? Seeing the, uh, right now, in fact, in the Naples Daily News, they're not even reporting the number of new cases and the number of people in the hospital have fallen dramatically. Uh, still, people are, uh, Fauci is saying we've got to be masked up until sometime next year. I think probably the uh, right thing to do is to stop a lot of the uh, mandates that have been issued around the country and let's start living our lives normally. I think there's risk involved in life, in all life. And uh, the pandemic, the flu, the virus is just one of those risks. It's time to go back to life as, as normal, as I see it. Well, the U.S. Department of Interior wants Cuyahoga County to take a pause in approving developments in eastern parts of the region. The agency says the county needs to implement a more comprehensive planning approach. The memo composed this week comes as the Planning Commission is set to vote Thursday on projects by landowner powerhouse Collier Enterprises in what is known as the Rural Land Stewardship Area, of or RLSA. Collier Planning Commission delays votes on town concept near Golden Gate Estates. Some of the main concerns include impacts on water quality, wetlands, flowways, and habitats for wildlife, such as the Florida panther and the black bear, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which falls under the Department of the Interior. And there's also the issue of controlled burns that are conducted to reduce the chances of catastrophic wildfires and manage the ecosystem. The commission is set to discuss a town concept by Cuyahoga Enterprises Thursday uh, tied to a proposed development that will be under review. The gathering is scheduled to be at 9 a.m. on the third floor of the administrative building at, in East Naples on Tamiami Trail. Residents can also view the meeting on the web by going to CuyahoaCountyFL.gov and, and clicking on the Cuyahoga TV Live button on the left side of the page. So you can participate in that. It makes sense probably to review development in the, in the east part of Naples and take a comprehensive view. Not sure about some of the issues that they're concerned about, but right now, Collier commissioners passed uh, Naples 1 with, uh, I'm, I'm still not clear whether they've uh, increased or violated the uh, mandates or the requirements for building in this part of the uh, Naples. But irrespective, there was a bum's rush, in my opinion, to the end of the meeting to approve Naples 1. Not sure it was the right thing to do. Well, the U.S. House of Representatives on Wednesday passed H.R. 1, otherwise known as the For the People Act, could be nothing less than For the People Act, which Republicans warn will comp compromise election integrity and ultimately lead to the federalization of U.S. elections. Democrat-led House passed the legislation on a party line, 220 to 210. A summary of the bill notes that it expands voter registration, automatic same-day registration, for example, and voting access, vote by mail and early voting, and imposes limits on removing voters from the voter rolls. Republicans have warned that Democrat legislation would vastly reduce the power of the states to control and operate elections at the local level. This is just wrong. If the bill passes, it puts all these terrible provisions, according to Hans von Spasowski, manager of the Heritage Foundation's election law reform initiative and a senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial uh, Studies, 
it's a federal micromanagement of the election process and everything that folks on the left want to reduce the integrity and the security of the election process is in there, he continued. If you're a state like Alabama or Texas that has a voter ID law, you might as well forget it because this federal law would override all state voter ID laws so they're now unenforceable. Just horrible. Can't believe. And you know what? This, this law actually passed along party lines. Right now we've got hanging fire, the, uh, not only H.R. 1, this particular law, uh, but also the $1.9 trillion stimulus, quote-unquote stimulus bill, that has very stimulus in it for the uh, virus pandemic, irrespective. Uh, my question is what's going to happen in the Senate. If the Senate passes these two bills, it will be unspeakably horrible in terms of uh, what's happening to a slide towards socialism. Uh, speaking to uh, Breitbart News on Tuesday, Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama warned that the Socialist Democrat Election Fraud Enhancement Act would do great damage to the nation's election system by taking power away from the states. The socialists seek to mandate no-fault absentee ballots, which are the tool of choice for vote thieves. They seek to eliminate the photo identification requirement. And by the way, when the federal government does it, this eliminates all state laws to the contrary, Brooks said, to a very large degree, federalizes and micromanages the election process administered by the states. It, if it impl is implemented, as I mentioned, some of the worst changes in election rules that occurred during the 2020 election would become permanent. This is a big, big problem. And quite frankly, I can't believe they're pulling this off with just a thin majority in the House and uh, almost no majority. It's uh, got Vice President of the United States with a deciding vote in a 50-50 split in the uh, Senate. Hopefully the Senate will step up and stop this nonsense because it's uh, pretty detrimental to uh, our republic. If not, I'm confident that the courts will step in, but uh, I'm concerned about the damage that will be done. By the way, the legislation would establish a 6-to-1 match for each grassroots contribution to a candidate up to $200. For example, a $200 donation to a House candidate would garner a $1,200 match in public funds for a total contribution of $1,400. In other words, we'd start using federal funds from taxpayer dollars in order to fund these elections. That is just wrong. Every single American should be outraged by this. I hope you'll... Uh, let your senator and congressman know that you do not want to see H.R. 1 passed, nor the $1.9 trillion stimulus package that's being proposed as well. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples, the website, is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Hi, 
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. He's Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of a terrific organization. It's called the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance, in short, believes in children and believes that they will thrive when they get a good education, and we want to help them do that. We bring solutions to the problems that crop up in education. We never try to just complain about a problem. When we see something that needs to be fixed, we find a solution to give parents options for their children and opportunities for their children. We believe parents know when their kids are getting a good education, and we believe they need to have the opportunity to ensure that they do get an education and not just be subject to whatever somebody decides for them. Yeah. So we're, we're just like everybody else. We care about the kids, believe, on, believe in the kids, think they're smart, capable. We want to help them find a way to use that smarts and that capability in, in the best way they can as they grow up. Yeah, especially important during this these times. Uh, we're so fortunate to live here in Florida where we have kids back in brick-and-mortar schools way before uh, the rest of the nation. Now, I know that you're working on legislation. Among the pieces of legislation you're looking at and working on in uh, Tallahassee is uh, parental choice. Yes, uh, and, and specifically in this case, parental rights, because these 
rights that parents have give them choices. And so people should connect that dot. You're exactly right. And and one of the great things about this is that it's we're seeing it move in both the House and the Senate. People may remember that it moved quite well last year, but then they ran the clock out on it at the end of the session in the Senate. Well, this year in the Senate, our own Senator Ray Rodriguez is sponsoring the bill, and he's, from from our perspective, one of the best guys up there. And he is shepherding that through the Senate, and yesterday it passed one of its first committee stops, the Judiciary Committee, and so we're really pleased by that. That's a good sign. Uh, we, uh, In fact, I said yesterday, it actually passed on Tuesday, the first day of the legislative session. So session has started, so it's good to see this move. And uh, Ray's doing a great job with that. This idea started with Representative Erin Grawl in the House, and she's been working on this for a number of years. We have supported it, and it passed its first committee stop on Tuesday as well, went through Health and Human Services, and we think that's very good news. Now, people might say, well, what's the big deal about parental rights? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I, I, I guess people may think I'm a little overstating it, but I don't think so. The Parental Rights Bill, or it's actually officially called Parents' Bill of Rights, it actually does what we all think parents should be able to do now. It puts parents in charge of taking care of their children, their education, their health care, how they relate to the school district, all, all kinds of things that we all assume parents were responsible to take care of and we expected them to take care of. But too many times, state agencies have gotten in the way and so Representative Grawl decided she was going to do something about this. And so she put together this Parents' Bill of Rights. And it's absolutely terrific and absolutely essential. I want to encourage everybody to support this and, and to encourage the, the people that represent you to support it. It's, it's one of the best things and, and is already starting to have consequences. We hear on the side that it's already affecting the way some state agencies are beginning to behave. So we think that's great for parents and for their children in education and in all kinds of areas. Well, I think it is uh, it is terrific. And again, to have that Bill of Rights uh, is so important because of, in, in many cases you just begin to see school systems encroach on the rights of parents to start making decisions about kids that uh, really belong in the hands of the parents, so uh, it's it's great to hear and great to see. So uh, the Hope Scholarship is such an important part of uh, parental choice right now, and uh, m- maybe you could tell us about it. Sure. Well, when we talk about parents' rights, the Hope Scholarship is one of the best expressions of that as it relates to education, and it was passed a couple of years ago, written by then Speaker of the House Richard Corcoran. Now he's the Commissioner of Education in Florida, and the Hope Scholarship was known colloquially as it went through the process as the bullying bill and so essentially what it does is if your student is bullied harassed intimidated threatened any of those kinds of things then your student automatically qualifies for a scholarship now a lot of people think of bullying as kids on the playground and you know the normal stuff of growing up well it's far more than that in schools these days Mm -hmm. it involves sometimes teachers who say things to students, and the students are hurt by that. It sometimes involves other people, uh, other adults that are related to that. It it can take place at the bus stop or even on the bus. So it's a very comprehensive approach to this, and what it does is it puts the power in the hands of the parents. And, And so many parents have trouble when we talk to them understanding, this is for you. If you say your child has been bullied, harassed, intimidated, threatened, 
then that's all it takes for you to report that to the school principal and expect to receive the HOPE scholarship notification form. It is a powerful opportunity for parents to have choices for their children, and, and I can't stress enough, if your child is in a situation that you don't find helpful or supportive or positive, now is the time to exercise your rights and report these incidents so you can qualify for the HOPE Scholarship. It's never been more important than right now, and it's never been more challenging. We're working with some parents in Florida. I I don't want to identify them or where they're from just because of the challenges. I don't want them to have more problems. But the school is actually refusing to issue that HOPE Scholarship notification form, and that is 100% against the law. The school is in violation because they just simply won't issue that to them when there have been multiple incidents that their son experienced, Mm. and they they just need to get him in a better place. And so we're working with the Department of Education to try to bring correction to that. But parents need to step up and, and insist, demand, require the schools to do what the law says. And they qualify for the Hope Scholarship. It's just that simple, should be that simple, and we're working to make sure it happens for parents all across yeah, the board. Good for you, Pastor Rick. I mean, again, this is not adjudicated, nor is it taken look to the principal, pull together a group of teachers to look at it. It automatically happens. If you make a claim of bullying, your child automatically require, uh, require, uh, qualifies for the Hope Scholarship. So. Parents should be aware of this. It's, again, it just uh, it really is an important element of this whole notion of school choice. Finally, I, I understand that you had a conversation with a with a parent about uh, pornography in in some of the materials in in public schools. I did yesterday. I had a Zoom meeting with uh, Representative Cord Bird, who is a parent. He, he mentioned he has a six year old, and uh, we're talk- we were talking about our bill that the Florida Citizens Alliance has been working to to advance for several years. It's, it's a common sense approach to this, but, but we noticed that because parents brought it to our attention a few years ago, some of the pornographic material that's in our schools that's available to, to children in the media centers and other ways. And so we started working on that because we realized that you've got to protect kids from harmful things. We protect them from alcohol. You can't take alcohol on a school campus. We protect them from illegal drugs. Can't do that on a school campus. We protect them from tobacco on a school campus. We protect them from firearms on a school campus. Why can't we protect them from these kinds of harmful things? Because once a child sees this, their innocence is damaged, Mm -hmm. and you can't undo that. And we have a responsibility to, to the parents who entrust those children to the school to make sure they're well protected. So I was talking to Representative Berg, telling him all those kind of things, you know, like uh, like we often do, and uh, to make sure people understand where we're coming from. And he he was smiling, and, and pretty soon he, he says, "Yeah, I get it." And uh, it was actually, Bob, I, I I have had a lot of good conversations with good representatives. I've had some with with representatives and senators who aren't quite as um, how should I say favorable to the things we care about and or, or sympathetic, but but he just gets it. And I was so encouraged because he will be one of the chairmen of the committees that that ha- bill has to go through in the House. And so we talked about some of the challenges, and, and he assured me that he understood what was going on. He would work on it. Uh, he, he was concerned because his children would be affected by it. And, and I just want to say to people, we get a little jaded by government sometimes, and, and I always think we need to watch and pay attention. Uh, there's a certain amount of accountability that we cannot overlook. 
But when we find people who really care about the right things and want to do the right things, we need to support them. And it also reminds us that when we vote, we need to vote for the people that believe the same things we do, do because one of the things that Representative Byrd and I talked about was they can make all the laws they want, but if the right kind of people don't do the right thing at the local level, it's very difficult to bring about the right kind of changes. So mm. I just want our people to take heart and to realize we've got to pay attention and elect the people that really represent us appropriately because that's what we need on all the levels, state, local, federal, everything. So well said. So well said, Pastor Rick. Again, I'll refer our listeners to your website, goflca.com. Goflca.com. Check it out. Doing a, it's a very robust website, very informative, first of all, but second of all, doing great work to support the uh, public education in Florida schools. Uh, Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. I really enjoy it, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Well, thank you so much, Michael. So, um, what would you like to talk about today? Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I'll point out Choice Social. It's a brand, brand new 
new refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out at choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is the uh, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Hey, I, I wasn't even aware of this, but apparently there's a Obamacare case that's uh, going to be. Uh, I'm not. Is, maybe the decision is going to be released today. What's going on? Well, right as we were talking about before, you know, during the break, there's so many things going on in healthcare right now, and on top of all of that, the Supreme Court, as you know, has been sitting on uh, an Obamacare case. They've been writing their opinions and. They're due to release an opinion on this Obamacare case at any time, and they have announced that they will be releasing opinions today, and so today could be the day that we get that case. With the Supreme Court, you never know uh, when they're going to uh, release an opinion until it's the last day of term, and they haven't done it yet. But, uh, so we could get it today, which means that uh, if, if they do release it, either uh, they will... Uh, they will decline to overturn the ACA. In other words, they'll leave it intact, just like uh, I expect they will do, most legal scholars expect they will do it, and I think they should not use this case to overturn the ACA. I think that would be bad law. Or, or you could get this outrageously unprobable, improbable, unlikely event where they do alter, the, uh, alter Obamacare in some way. They could conceivably overturn it, uh, and if that happens, then really all hell is going to break loose on Capitol Hill because uh, that would be uh, a, a really big change. But as I said, I don't think that the court will use this case to do that, and I don't think they should use this case to do that. Uh, as I say, that would make bad law. Yeah. Well, probably it needs to be overturned, but probably not based on the, on the uh, court law that uh, on the case that we have right now. Uh, again, I think. Uh, Obamacare is bad law. It expands government intrusion into our what should be uh, private sector business. But irrespective, uh, I'm sure you know the, there's so many things to be concerned about right now. And let, first of all, let's just talk a little bit about the downturn in the number of cases in coronavirus and the uh, public health care response to that. So that's. Uh you know, that's a wonderful development. It is an indication that the vaccines are working. There's been a big downturn in nursing home uh, cases and a downturn in deaths. We've seen it here in the United States. We've seen it in places like Israel. And that suggests that the vaccines are working. We are vaccinating more people. We're getting up to millions per day. We have the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine that is available. There's been some concern that it's uh, not as efficacious as the existing vaccines. But if you look at what happens over time, uh, it does, it, it reaches the same sort of efficacy levels. Uh, it just takes a few more weeks. And so if it's a choice between you know, getting the one now and another vaccine a few weeks from now, uh, I, I would take getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that, that should really be the focus of, uh, of uh, public health efforts right now is encouraging people uh, to vaccinate when appropriate uh, I, as I suggested, I plan to, as soon as they call my number, uh, both of my parents have already had both of their uh, shots, and uh, and I, I think we're really seeing uh, some of the benefit of that in those uh, those case numbers and, those, and, and the following uh, 
numbers. So uh, help me understand this. I mean, there's three different. We have Moderna, we have Pfizer, we now have uh, Johnson and Johnson. Are, are there differences among these uh, vaccines? I mean, which one is the best, and how do you know it's best for you? So that's hard to know. Uh, I mean, there are differences between them. Some of them are messenger RNA vaccines. Some of them are more traditional vaccines. They all have uh, a tremendous efficacy when it comes to preventing uh, hospitalization and preventing death. And so from a practical standpoint, the way I approach it when I'm making this decision about my own health uh, and advising my parents is that, look, these, these are all so much more effective than your seasonal flu shot that it almost doesn't matter which one of them you get mm. because they will all provide so much more protection and allow you to get back to living your life as uh, you used to uh, faster than, uh, than, than no vaccine or really even faster than uh, taking a lot of more time trying to figure out which one of them is best. So let me play devil's advocate on that then, because right now we're seeing the number of cases drop precipitously. And I, in fact, we're not even reporting cases. The Naples Daily News is saying, has yeah, just stopped reporting it. End of the theory that uh, if it's not bad news, we're not going to report it. But the point is that the hospitalizations are way down. Number of cases are way down. Uh, you can go, just go down the list. You know, is it necessary to even have take the vaccine? Well, I think it is, because remember, we've seen dips before, uh, and if people, uh, if, if there are uh, people who, who lack immunity, and there's still some community spread, and particularly if there are new variants that are more communicable than the original uh, SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, then we can see, and uh, it is... Uh, a possibility that we will see spikes again after this, but the way to prevent that from happening or uh, make the, uh, a spike in caseloads and hospitalizations and deaths uh, less uh, less deadly is to take the one step we uh, we have the most confidence in stopping uh, the spread and stopping hospitalizations and serious morbidity and mortality, and that is vaccination. Very good. Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Take care. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. George Markovich. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006. I'm extremely grateful for that. Both working great right now. And uh, just appreciate uh, his care for me over a period of years and his friendship now. So we're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. 
Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by, by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. Among the other things they do, they create policies and programs to help get people off welfare. And I'm talking about able-bodied folks. Get them off welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the FGA.org. Very exciting organization. I'm looking forward to uh, getting a uh, representative, perhaps the president and founder, Taryn Bagdon, on the show sometime soon because they've got, again, uh, kind of a pivoting away from having a uh, Republican president. And now uh, the agenda changes somewhat, and we'll find out uh, the exciting things that, that, are, that are going on right now. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Uh, Dr. Markovich was in the middle of something. He's going to call back in a few minutes. In the meantime... We've got a lot to talk about. The White House abruptly cut their video feed of a virtual event Wednesday after President Joe Biden asked reporters for questions. He said, you know what, I'm happy to take questions if that's what I'm supposed to do. Nance, whatever you want me to do, an uncertain Biden said. Biden was speaking with members of the House Democrat Caucus, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The president appeared to look off camera for direction before his image was replaced by a graphic of the White House. His final comment was deleted from the video of the event and posted in the White House YouTube page. Breitbart News reported Biden not held a solo press conference in the last 42 days that he's been president, breaking a 100-year record. (laughs) 42 days he's gone without a press conference and no State of the Union address either. CNN's Jake Tapper wrote uh, on Twitter that Biden's 15 most recent predecessors all held a formal solo press conference Within 30 day, 33 days of taking office, pretty amazing stuff. Last week, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Biden would hold a press conference at some point, but would not be this week. I think just more and more evidence that uh, President Biden, quite, quite frankly, doesn't have an elevator going all the way to the top. He has Alzheimer's, and the evidence of that is growing and growing. They're simply uh, kind of creating a circle around him of protection and not allowing him to speak in public. It's a shame. 
Well, as the U.S. nears the year anniversary of shutting down schools, the results of a year without education are starting to come in, and it's been a devastating one for American children. A study conducted among students in San Francisco who are only heading back to school at the end of this month uncovered the truth about those who are impacted by school closures that are minority and low-income students primarily. The San Francisco Chronicle reports that low-income students have fallen even further behind during the pandemic-inspired closures. The school board has instead prioritized the renaming of schools over getting schools open. They're even more concerned with the appearance of racism than they are with actually making sure minority students get an education. Still, another study shows that students who are English language learners are falling behind more compared to others. McKinsey released an analysis in December that showed that black and Hispanics are both more likely to remain remote. And look at this, probably is Dr. George Markovich. We'll find out right now. I'm going to take that chance right now. Hello, Dr. Markovich. Good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for being available. I realize that sometimes medical emergencies call. So thanks so much for calling back. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you, doctor. So uh, here we are. We're, we're seeing a reduction in coronavirus. We're seeing, I think, a lot of good signs for the for the community. And let the and in spite of that, many public health officials are saying we've got to continue to stay masked up for another year or so. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts on that, looking at uh, what's happened in the past year and trying to take some lessons from it moving forward is that we're on our way to achieving herd immunity. And uh, that's what happens in every type of event like this, even once-in-a-century events. Uh, And as far as being vigilant and being careful, that depends on who you are. Remember, 98% of people are not affected by this in a significant way, even when there's a lot of viral circulation. Now that there's been more exposure and mass vaccinations, which are ongoing, and increasing, I think in certain pockets of the country, it's, it's a return to normalcy, uh, either sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And sooner seems to be the watchword in, in areas that uh, have controlled the disease significantly. Remember, those that were very stringent in their lockdowns uh, didn't necessarily fare better. No. In fact, what we're seeing here in Florida is we fared extremely well, and the, our, our governor, uh, DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, has been criticized, just immense criticism for the way he's handled this entire pandemic. He said, well, look, I'm going I'm to trust the citizens to make good decisions. We're not going to have any mandates whatsoever. If there are local mandates, they have to be approved by the governor's office, especially if there's fines involved. And yet... The results are as good or even better than they are, for example, California or New York. That's what a free society does. <clears throat> it takes information, and it tries to make the best decisions based on the information and not have it shoved down their throat by people that, they, that think that they know better. Uh, our leaders should be able to help people who want to go a certain direction get there better as opposed to dam up what they don't like, and push and shove and force people in a different direction. That's getting mixed up these days for a lot of reasons. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, doctor, uh, I just got out of the hospital uh, for back surgery, 
And uh, I, I noticed that I just got to uh, uh, notice that uh, doctors, they're now allowing two visitors per patient. They're expanding the visitation hours. I consider hospitals perhaps to be the most conservative organizations that exist when it comes to to uh, public health care. And yet there are I think there, this is an admission that things are kind of easing off right now. It's a pretty good sign. It's an excellent sign, and uh, it's an inevitability. Um, whether it's polio, Ebola, any other type of uh, organism, and again, having been involved in infectious disease, uh, it's something I worry and am concerned and, and vigilant about every minute of every day mm. to try to avoid negative implications in terms of infectious disease. Viruses prey on bacteria and uh, mammalian cells. Bacteria preys on mammalian cells. We're biological creatures. And so, you know, it's something that <clears throat> hospitals are very vigilant about. It's taken extraordinary safeguards. Uh, you're better off outside the hospital uh, in, in areas that are, are safe and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, clean and, and so forth. And if you keep your immune system optimized and you take good care of yourself, uh, you're going to be okay, you know. Uh, and so uh, in a hospital setting, things are getting back to where they should be. That's it's great. hard to go through those kind of stresses away from, you know, a, a, an important support structure like family and friends, just like it is societally. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we're on a good trend, Bob. I think that things are headed to the direction we all want it to. It was going to get there sooner or later. Uh, it's getting there, I believe, now in here in Texas and other places. Despite what doomsayers want to believe or want you to believe, uh, because sometimes what they believe and what they tell other people that they believe are two different things. Yeah. Um, but I think things are headed in a good direction. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to close our, our conversation with the fact that, again, you replaced both of my knees in 2006, for which I'm so grateful provided outstanding care for me. I'll always be grateful for the for what you did for me. I was uh, literally immobile. I, I couldn't even sleep. And uh, right now, I like to say that my knee is the only part of my body that doesn't hurt. <laughs> that don't hurt. So Enjoy them and enjoy the rest of your body, too. Okay, Always a pleasure. Uh, Dr. Markovich, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Markovich can be reached at, uh, I think it's uh, 529, oh my goodness, 482-5399 is the, what is the uh, phone number, 482-5399, the office of Dr. George Markovich. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. 
Walk. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government does doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by, by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and now building a brand-new uh, performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, Bob... Thank you for uh, for having me on this uh, on this cool Thursday out here. Well, it is my pleasure, and uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about some of the development that's going on around the county. Uh, the county commissioners got together and had a, uh, a meeting that went on forever, and then in the final moments of the meeting, said, "You know what? We're going to go ahead and approve this one Naples one." Big big development right there in the corner of Vanderbilt Beach Road, and uh, we watched it. Oh, did you really? Oh, yeah. What were your thoughts? Well, I, I, you know, it's inter. <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> it's interesting because similar to some of the ones that we've had in Naples, like the, uh, you know, the renovation of the. Uh, <coughs> well, I shouldn't say renovation. The. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry, Bob. No worries. The, um, the, you know, the beach club and and everything that they've gone through with that and. Um, you know, the old Naples Hotel, which is still sitting, <clears throat> um, the ground has been cleared, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, we watched that with interest, and um, uh, Penny went off on a, on a tirade. It sounded to me that, <clears throat> that Penny, of course, is looking for votes because she's up for re-election. Um, but, you know, the, the, the county didn't just... Um, the county didn't just all of a sudden come up with, I mean, they had done a lot of research on that, Bob. I, I think that they made the developer jump through some hoops and they, the developer did agree to, to reduce the amount of, of units. I mean, I'm neither pro nor con, okay? That's yeah. county. Uh -huh. But I watch with interest. So I, I realize that those that live around there are, are upset. But the one point... And, and I'll let you talk, I'm sorry. The one point that, that struck me of everything was the fact that when they were discussing commercial versus residential at that, at that location, and I found that really interesting, and I, I think 
that a lot of them were swayed by that, that residential would be better than commercial there. Yeah. You know, my opinion is that the, uh, I just wanted everything to stay within code. And I think they made some exceptions to the code that exists there. And then right. the, my concern about that is not necessarily one Naples. I, I, you know, certainly he owns the land. He has a right to develop it. And I, I don't question that at all. But my concern is if, in fact, there is an exception to the height or the setbacks or those types of considerations, it affects all of that area. Uh, it could turn the whole area into teardowns on the beach and f for building high-rises. Well... You know, the thing is, is that no matter what development, especially if it's a, if it's a bigger one, um, if, if everything were set in stone, yeah. as you and I both know, if you just said, well, look, here, here it is, you, you have to meet every single thing that's in the code, you, there's no such thing as variations or, or um, deviations or anything like that, um, it would be, there'd be some strange-looking places out there. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that's expected that, you know, they're going to ask for things they're not going to get, and the, the, the governing board is going to think that there are some things that would make it a better project. Yeah. I mean, that just seems to be the way it is, but um, uh, I, I just, um, you know, what they end up doing, who knows, because it, they still have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You know that. Yes, I do. The other, the other portion about this is, uh, unfortunately, this could be apocryphal, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Uh, the uh, commissioners have a, a, a reputation for overlooking variation. In other words, once they approve something, uh, builders come in and they change it and uh, build something beyond the uh, what has been approved, and there's nothing more than a slap on the wrist for it. Right. Well, I'm, I, I think that that might well be true, mm -hmm. um, but that's something that the public has to deal with when they elect the, the officials. I mean, yeah. I was... I didn't know which way uh, Commissioner LaCastro was going to go at first. I was listening to him. and But they, they all felt that, um, I mean, they made their decisions based on, on their reasoning and, and, what they, and what they thought, other than Penny, as I say, who went on a, on a uh, tirade there. Um, I candidly believe she's looking for votes. Yeah. I'm not so sure. You know, she's done that before, and she's the hero or the heroine for for, you know, the people there. She's the one that got out of her car and went and talked to them and what have you. But um, I just have my own doubts about that. I can get away with saying that now like you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, by the way, there was a city council meeting yesterday. I'd appreciate your thoughts on that. Oh, I tell you what, Bob. I, I, you know, the bottom line, and I, without going into, into uh, uh, a myriad of, of, of things that happened, they... I have never seen more micromanaging from any city council ever. Um, they just don't stick to the facts. Mm -hmm. they, they are all over the place. They start on a, on a topic, and it ends up somewhere miles away by the time they, they get back to it. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the staff, uh, I, I don't, I just am amazed that the staff can keep up with, with with the council, um, because, like I said, they are all over the place. Heidman again, another meeting yesterday went till well, we watched it up till six thirty last night. Wow, and they started at eight thirty yesterday morning. Wow, and um, that just shouldn't be no i mean there's there's no two ways about it, but uh, um, I, I guess it is what it is, and um, 
Then, then you know, with them letting uh, Rutzel and Andrus go, the attorneys, uh, I think that's the biggest mistake that, that, that's been made in the last year. Um, they are, they're a fabulous firm. They have been really good to the city, and now they're out there shopping for new attorneys. It's like um, that'll be a subject for maybe next week. Uh, I can, we can go into that a little bit. But yeah. other than that, they, you know, there's no St. Patrick's Parade. They're going to do a boat parade. And uh, that should be interesting because God knows what Key Waden Island is going to look like after that. Because <laughs> they're all meeting up there. So, uh, but other than that, you know, everything seems to be good. Yeah, no, it comes down to leadership, actually. I mean, it, the staff is very well prepared. And if there's an issue that needs to be investigated, the staff comes prepared with their, what their, with their findings and recommendations, I would imagine, or right. recommendations, and then uh, it's up to the city council to vote on these things. Uh, and it's just a shame that, in fact, if things get off off kilter, if they go wandering off off of a schedule and off agenda, uh, the meetings are going to be elongated, but also it's going to lead to uh, less effective decisions. Well, that's that's exactly right. I I know, you know, I can just guess uh, that that you know Gary Price seems to be the seems to be the voice of reason on that council, but. The city manager, in my opinion, is he's off somewhere else because, you know, he's, he's looking for the county manager's job. Mm-hmm. And um, even if he doesn't get the county manager's job, I'm, my guess is he's gone. He'll, he's, he's looking for something else. And candidly, uh, I, I, I can't find all that fault with him because he's working under, as you just said, the leadership that he has to work with, uh, with the mayor is, uh, is, is an impossible one. Absolutely impossible one. She just runs him every which direction, and he can't, he can't, he cannot function a hundred percent on what he needs to do to be able to work with the rest of council and and his staff. More importantly, that's so sad to hear. Well, so uh, I look forward to hear more about the uh, search for the new uh, city attorney. of city attorney. Um, uh, any chance he'll the current one will stick around? No. Oh no. I. I you know. They gave him a year. And they've got the search firm looking now, and I think they're going to start interviewing um, attorneys or, or firms uh, in the very near future. Um, but you and I will have a lot of conversation about that, that's for sure. That'll be so interesting. Bill Barnett, again, former mayor of Naples, maybe the best mayor that ever lived in, uh, in the city of Naples. Just Hey, you're great... taking too many pain pills. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, Bill <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the kudos, Bob. You know, I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Uh, look Take care. To. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun. It was kind of exciting. Live, uh, live uh, podcasts are always fun because you never know what's going to happen. Kind of like a box of chocolates, right? Anyhow. I hope you'll tune in tomorrow. We're going to visit with Peter Atkinson. He started an interesting organization called the Merry Beggars, and uh, I happen to have contributed to it, and I look forward to having him talk to you about it. It's kind of very interesting. So, uh, William Yateman is a research fellow at the, uh, uh, at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with William, and uh, we have other guests as well. So I hope uh, if you have any questions or thoughts about the show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.